Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> all right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Required listening with Amazon Music. Dad music again? The greatest guitarist of all time. Wait, who? Alexa, add this song to a new playlist. Sure, what's the new playlist name? Jack's intro to classic rock. Adding Stepping Stone by Jimi Hendrix to Jack's intro to classic rock playlist. Amazon Music, the simplest way to listen to the music you and soon he will love. New customers start your 30-day free trial at AmazonMusic.com. Renews automatically, cancel anytime. Welcome everyone to another episode of the NBA Podcast. Before we get started, be sure to check us out on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find all three of our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes. Please go ahead and download, subscribe, and leave us reviews. We'd love to hear any feedback. You can find us on FanRag Sports this year, so be sure to give them a follow on Twitter at FanRag Sports. And for their NBA section, Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just $2, $4, $6, and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clear is at FanRag NBA. With all of that said, as always, I'm joined today by Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. How's it going, guys? It's going well, Brian. <laughs> going all right. Sarah, you're recovering from the magic beating your Spurs on Tuesday? <laughs> I'm trying to. It's been, That's it's good. been a rough back-to-back. But yeah. what about the Sixers, though, Brian? They... What, what's up with the floor? <laughs> uh, yeah, apparently... <laughs> God was not ready for Joel Embiid to play 28 <laughs> minutes, and he flooded the court on Wednesday night, so we're going to have to wait a little while for that, but it's fine. Uh, just a fair warning, everyone, I am recording this from a hotel room in San Diego, so I apologize in advance if my sound quality is a little worse than usual, but these are the travails of a husband traveling with her wife on the medical residency interview tour. With all of that said... We're going to start with the Memphis Grizzlies, because I think that is the biggest news of the week. No, we, <laughs> I think we, we might have a podcast curse going, guys, because we mentioned them last episode as a team. You know, we gave them a brief shout-out, saying they're playing really well, they're fourth in the West, Mike Conley's rolling. Mike Conley's not rolling anymore. He suffered a transverse process fracture in his back. He is out for the next six to eight weeks, according to... The Verticals, Adrian Wojnarowski, among other sources. So, right now they're fourth. 
are they how screwed are they sarah (laughs) jeez um you know what's funny about the grizzlies obviously mike conley is super important um and i really just hate the fact that he's hurt because he was playing really well and he's really fun to watch but the reason that i picked them to to do so well this year is that last year they finished seventh with what the the most players rotating in and out of the lineup in like nba history and playing a good chunk of their season cobbled together with nba d league guys so i feel like i'm never going to count them out i feel like they're still going to compete uh i still expect them to make the playoffs um it's just it's just really disappointing and sad that the, that this happened again not not the same injury obviously but just every year they seem to get hit really hard but like I said they seem to still figure out how to make the playoffs I don't know how but they do so I'm still going to ride with them that's fair i mean so i wrote a piece about this at Bball breakdown so you can see my longer thoughts on this there but i did the math and if he's out on the early end of that six-week timetable, he will only miss 22 games. If he's out the full eight weeks, he will miss an additional eight, so he will be out for 30 games, which leaves him, like give or take, about 35 left in the regular season. So they do have that potential to, as long as they play around 500 ball without him, or even a little bit below, they could get on like a late-season run and sneak in as that seventh seed and be the team that no one wants to play. You know, yeah. that your yeah, Spurs just, will... Just to screw the Spurs, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I fully like, expect it. That your Spurs will inevitably draw in round one. <laughs> uh, um, so there's talk that, you know, right now they have Andrew Harrison, uh, who stepped into the starting lineup Wednesday night to replace Conley. They also have rookie Wade Baldwin coming off the bench. There's talk that they're also going to look outside of the organization. Uh, Michael Scotto of Basketball Insiders reported they have interest in Norris Cole. Uh, David Fisdale, their head coach, worked with Cole for a couple years in Miami. Uh, Wojnarowski also reported they're bringing in Kendall Marshall, Will Bynum, and Tony Douglas for tryouts. Mario Chalmers looked like a logical candidate because he played really well for Memphis last year, but he tore his Achilles, and according to ESPN's Tim McMahon, he is not ready to come back yet. So, Mort, do you think they need to make a move to replace Conley, do they need to sign Marshall, Bynum, Douglas, Norris Cole, someone else that we're not thinking of? Do they need to make a trade? Or do you think they can get by for these next month, month and a half, two months with Harrison and Baldwin as their main ball handlers? I think the question is what they want to get by. I wouldn't have a problem giving Wade Baldwin a chance because he's going to get more minutes and that would further his development. Um, but in terms of the playoff picture, which they might end up out of, then yeah, I would definitely look to upgrade the the current position when when Mike is out. Though to be fair, when you look at that roster, you don't really need like a replacement point guard. You need Wobie Goldberg to to take in her her Eddie role because like <laughs> this is this is completely movie Eddie just with Mike going down right. <laughs> Stacy Patton is the star player. Is on. He's being benched, and there's just a bunch of old guys left. <laughs> and she somehow makes it work, right? So they need Whoopi. Yeah. That's what they need. But no, I mean, look. As far as I'm concerned, unleash the Viagra brothers. That's where I'm at. <laughs> I love that nickname. It's never gonna get old. Uh, yeah, I mean, I so 
while I was doing research for this B-Ball breakdown piece, uh, there are a couple things that caught my eye about the Grizzlies. One, they had the sixth fewest uh, pick-and-roll ball handler possessions of any team in the league. So mm-hmm. it's not like Conley was just running pick-and-roll after pick-and-roll after pick-and-roll, and they're going to have to replace that. Even if they was, Andrew Harrison's running basically as many, or like in terms of the percentage of plays that he's running, Conley was at like 42 point something and uh, Harrison was at like 39 point something. So they, they have a similar style in that regard. Memphis led the league in post-up possessions even with Conley in the lineup. You have to figure that's only going to increase with him out. Yep. You know, Zebo right now is, he's out indefinitely. His mother passed away on Thanksgiving, so our thoughts are with him. You know, there is no rush for him to get back to the lineup. His family is obviously more important right now. But once he does return, you got to figure he and Gasol are going to be the two main options offensively. Uh, I, I, you have to figure, you know, Marcus Gasol is an excellent passer, just like his brother. I would not be surprised to see a lot of point center looks like the Bulls did with Gasol. And, you know, we haven't seen too much of that with the Spurs yet, I don't think. But as the year goes on, we'll probably see a little bit more of that. And then Chandler Parsons, too. You know, he's... He's a very well-rounded threat. He's dealing with a bone bruise in his knee, I believe. He's been out for at least a week. I think he's out for a little bit longer. Uh, but once he gets back, he's going to help, you know, at least replacement by committee for Conley. So, Sarah, I share your optimism about Memphis. I don't think they are totally, you know, it's not time to tank quite yet. Uh, we will see what they do in terms of, Ward, I think you're right that they should just bring in a third point guard, if only just for depth, because yeah. if one of Baldwin or Harrison go down, then then they're in trouble. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think it is time to panic in the streets, Grizzlies fans. As long as you make it into the playoffs, you can be frisky. And we <laughs> we know your history with the Spurs suggests that's going to be a fun first round series <laughs> when it inevitably happens. I love Moving. your pen- pension for using the word frisky. Yeah, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> they, they are. They're very frisky. Uh, let's let's move on to the Utah Jazz now. You know they they got off to a rough start this year. Gordon Hayward was out for the first couple games with a broken finger. George Hill has missed a couple games. I think he's actually out for Thursday as well with a sprained left toe, is what I saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, but heading into Thursday, they've won four straight. They routed the Rockets on Tuesday, one twenty to one hundred one. They're only .5 games out of fourth place in the West. They are tied with the Spurs for the league's sixth best point per game point differential, and they have yet to lose with both George Hill and Gordon Hayward in the lineup. They are 5-0 and with both of those guys. And Derek Favors is still hurt, so they still have a lot of firepower you know, on the sideline right now. So, Mort, are they morphing into this legitimate threat that we expected them to be? I think so, yeah. It we were really optimistic about them coming into the season, and so far they look as advertised. Uh, they they had had some, some poor losses, but I think that was more of a question of them trying to fit together and, and grow a little bit. And now it seems they're hitting their strides. Uh, I believe Rodney Hood went down. I'm not really sure if he's going to return tonight against Miami or whatever. And if he's out for a little bit, then that might hurt them, but... As you said, like Gordon Hayward missed a solid chunk of the opening to the season. They still survived somehow, and they're just clicking. I really enjoy watching them play. They have a pretty good grasp defensively, and offensively they're coming along nicely. 
Um, they look a lot more aggressive this year than they did in prior years. It's like in prior years, it was like they were looking to make the extra pass to get like the perfect shot all the time. Now mm-hmm. they're a little bit quicker on the trigger, a little bit sharper, um, and and it suits them, especially because they have two no nonsense guys in in George Hill and and uh, Gordon Hayward, and Rodney Hood is becoming that third member that they really yeah. needed, like that another wing that they needed. Uh, it, it's tough about Derek Favors, but honestly, I'm kind of intrigued to see what they can do without having a big guy who clocks the lane up a lot. I want to see mm-hmm. like that that full potential of their spacing game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I forget, I think it was, yeah, it was Bleacher Report's Adam Fromall. He has, they do these daily uh, NBA recaps at Bleacher Report that you guys should all check out. Uh, so on Tuesday night, he wrote the Tuesday night edition, and the Jazz, that was the game the Jazz beat the Rockets. And I think he said it was only the fourth time the Jazz had scored 120 or more points in like the last three or four seasons. And it was the only, hmm. it was like, the the Rockets had only been held under 101 points four times this season, so it seems like they are starting to click on both ends of the court. I mean, Ben Dowsett, who is a worked for Basketball Insider, is great follow for all you Jazz fans out there. I saw him mention, you know, Gobert got benched the other night, and since he since that happened, he's been playing lights out, especially in terms of rim protection. I think he's like already like second or third of the league in terms of field goal percentage allowed at the rim, which is exactly what we expected coming into this year. Uh, So, Sarah, I mean, you're the Spurs fan here. Is this the team, you know, Golden State, Spurs, Clippers, I think we can safely say are the top three teams in the West. Are the Jazz the team you are most afraid of outside of those other two? Um, Probably. I mean... I want to keep Memphis in the mix, as you know. Uh, definitely, definitely worried about them. But I, I think you know, you listed uh, in our outline. You listed OKC and Houston and Memphis, and I think unquestionably the Jazz are a better team than than Houston and OKC. Um, I think they're probably deeper than Memphis, even when Memphis is healthy. Um, both teams have kind of had these lingering injury problems so hopefully the, the little nagging things don't continue all year George, you know George Hill being out with the, the toe now and he was already out for several games favors unfortunately had been out um, but yeah they've looked really good with George in the lineup and obviously getting Gordon Hayward back um, the only the only thing you know like we expected them to be really good and they they've shown that they can be already uh, and Boris Dio has not even been very good. Uh, so that might end up being a problem, perhaps, down the road if, if Favors can't come back and, and Bobo is not getting it done. Uh, front court depth next to Gobert could be, possibly be an issue. But, yeah, I, I would put them at the biggest threat to kind of the, the entrenched top three, mm. top two or three. So, yeah. Yeah, I think you nailed it, especially with the depth comment. I mean, that's allowed them to survive these first couple weeks, even with Hayward banged up and Hill banged up. You know, they can turn to, at point, they have Shelvin Mack and they have Dante Exum off the bench. You know, the big guys you mentioned, Bobo's not playing well, but Trey Lyles is showing some flashes, as we thought he would. Uh, So that's allowed them to survive the Favors injury. You know, Hood and Hayward are somewhat interchangeable at this point, so you can... 
if Hayward goes out again or if Hood's out for a while, you've got him. Alec Burks is out there lingering. I don't know. I think he got re-injured again, so I don't know if you can necessarily count on him. But they also have Joe Johnson, who's been playing well. So, I mean, this might be the deepest team in the NBA. And, yeah, I think you are absolutely right, you know. I think if you are a Warriors, Spurs, or Clippers fans, you are rooting very hard for the Jazz to be the number four seed because I do not think you want any of you want to see that team in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, I did see, I forget who said this on Twitter, but someone said it looks like the Pacers have lost the George Hill trade twice now. Which seems seems like a fitting way to end up our discussion of the Jazz. So let's now move to the Dallas Mavericks, who, Sarah, your Spurs vanquished last night without the services of, like, half your starting lineup. Uh, has not been a great start to the season for the Mavericks. Dirk has been nursing Achilles tendon soreness for much of the year, and he's out for at least a couple more games. J.J. Barea is out for at least another month. Darren Williams has already been banged up. He's got some calf issues he's working back from. Wes Matthews is shooting 35.9% from the field, and they have the league's worst record. That said, Mark Cuban, their owner, says they will not tank. I'm going to read his full quote because it is fantastic. He said, prior to Sunday's game, he said, Haters gonna hate. We think that you always compete. If you're competing when the league is better, like it is this year, if you don't do well, you'll be in a position to get a good pick. Which, remember, even if you have the worst record in the NBA, there's a 75% chance you're not going to get the top pick. Morton, do you think Cuban is justified in his stance, or would you go full full steam ahead on the tank engine if you're Dallas? You probably couldn't have asked me this at a worse time, Brian, because I'm actually begun feeling a little bit conflicted about the whole tanking process. Like usually I would I would be on board with the tanking process because it would be utilizing a flaw in the NBA's draft lottery system. Mm-hmm. But now that we have this year, we've had this excellent basketball being played all around the NBA this year. Like it's it's hands down one of the best seasons over the past 30 years so far. It's early, I know, but so far it just looks amazing. And in part, it's because like you, you look at teams like Brooklyn, who has no picks coming in. They, they have a horrible uh, situation going in terms of roster, but they're playing balls out. So it's mm-hmm. fun to see teams that even are low in rankings compete. So yeah. I kind of get where Mark is coming from, and I appreciate that he wouldn't tank for the hell of it. Now, having said that, let's just look at the realities, shall we? Dead last in scoring, dead last in assist, dead last in rebounding, dead last in blocks, dead last in free throws made or attempted, dead last in three-point field goal percentage, dead last in field goal percentage, and dead last in field goals made. Uh, doesn't look good, does it? Like, let's, yeah. just, let's just compare this for a second. As a team... Dallas has 67 blocks on the year. Anthony Davis by himself has 50. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so like, this is where we're at, right? I mean, so I guess my point is, good on you, Mark Cuban, but yeah, just, you. you I don't know where I stand on this. I, I appreciate what he's saying, but... He has to look at the realities. Maybe they don't even have to tank. Maybe they're, this is just the team they're going to be for the rest of the year. 
anyway. Right. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, that's kind of the thing. Like, for me, it's, what does tanking even mean? Go, we're going out trying to lose? Or, you know, yeah. I don't think they really, I don't want to be rude, but I don't think they really need help in that area. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's kind of going to shake out that way. Says the Spurs um, fan. Yeah. The gloating yeah, Spurs fan. <laughs> I, I really don't mean to go. Up. I mean, they played us. They played us tough, two games in a row now. So, and they, that's what they do. They compete, and so, but yet they came out on the short end, you know. So, I don't think there's any problem with trying to build good habits, you know, yeah. or or develop certain things. The the fun thing is, you can play around with lineups and you know not worry about it that much. That you're going to lose winnable games, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've kind of been so shorthanded anyway that that limits your ability to play around. But I feel like they should definitely ride Seth Curry more. I'm more I think you picked him to be most improved player. Mm, and yeah, 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 let him ride. Let him ride. I mean, he's been pretty good. And he last night, I think he played like 27 minutes, which I get they were trying to play um, Darren Williams, even though he's got a minutes restriction. And I think um, – Devin Harris too, but then he got hurt a little bit. Like there's there's like too many chefs. Just let let young Seth Curry do his thing. Hopefully Dirk can get healthy and his whole potentially final season, one of his last seasons, is not marred by injury and being out the whole time. That's really all I want to see for them. I still think they're gonna have a low finish and you know, yeah. potentially get a high pick. So or low pick, however you would say that. <laughs> so Right. Yeah, I mean I think where they are as a franchise, you know, in Dirk's twilight, I think it's going to be very similar to the the last couple of years of the Lakers, where you kind of just have to ride it out with this franchise mm-hmm. legend, even though he's aging and you can't really rely on him. And it's going to lead to some bad years, uh, you know, because he's just, what, he's making like $25 million this year. You know, he's taking up a huge proportion of your cap which he deserves all the credit to him he's taken so many pay cuts over the years for dallas they weren't going to spend that money elsewhere that's totally fine uh you know sarah to your point about developing bad habits that's what cuban said why he doesn't want to tank he said there are so many basically he just threw shade at the sixers and said (laughs) there are so many teams that became four years away from four years away because guys just learned how to lose They stopped caring about any individual game and just got used to it, and you don't want guys developing those bad habits. So that one hurt. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know, he said, like, not to be okay, who are we going to pull in the fourth quarter so we can lose this game? You know, I don't think they're going to go that route. Like, I I don't think any team, I don't think a coach or a player necessarily, I don't think tanking is, like, an institutional top-to-bottom thing. You know, even, like, the Sixers, when Michael Carter Williams was on the team, he wrote that Players Tribune essay. It was like, no, I'm not tanking. Like, we're we're not. The players aren't tanking because yeah. we're going to get a draft pick. We're going to get you know a high lottery pick, and that guy's coming for my job. So I'm not going to throw a game. I think it's mostly from management. And now the question becomes: All right, you know, Dirk is 38. He's dealing with these Achilles injuries. I think he said he wants to play until 40, and he's going to hang it up. So you got two more years of Dirk. He's going to cost 25 million next year as well. You have Harrison Barnes locked up through 2018-19. Same with Wesley Matthews. The question because Andrew Bogut, who is a unrestricted free agent after this year, as is Darren Williams. I don't think you're going to find much of a market for Williams because of his injury issues. But 
you know, maybe a a center needy team looks at Bogut and sees the Mavericks, sees them going nowhere, and says, you know, maybe come trade deadline, you guys might want to ship him off. So I think that's that's where I'm watching the Mavericks. Less of a game to game, we're going to throw games to get a higher draft pick. I don't think that's going to be the case, but maybe they do a little bit of fire sale come February, and you know. Based on where they are, I mean, they're not out of the playoffs yet, but it's certainly not looking good. So that, that's probably going to give them a little more incentive to make sure Dirk is 100% healthy before he returns. They're not going to rush him back and say, we need you every game for this playoff push. It's like, all right, you're 38 and you have Achilles problems. You know, take it easy, big man. Let's just get you healthy because the last thing we want is for you to end your career like Kobe did and, you know, just like basically limping to the finish line yeah. so yeah we'll we'll keep an eye on the mavericks as you know they're right now i'm sweating them as competition for the sixers inevitable number one <laughs> pick because i really i need markel fultz in the worst way but we'll, we'll hope the mavs could at least get healthy and you know Shoot, sh- I, I picked them seventh i picked them to finish yeah. seventh in the west yeah. so yeah i did i think yeah. i i definitely had them in the playoffs and that's that's one i'm gonna miss on so <laughs> it was that carlisle magic we went with i know called us this time. yeah but yeah. i agree with you i think tanking is more about players on the floor than it is like you know i think all players and even coaches are out there trying to win you know it's more about who's available to be on the floor whether that's you know, put together that way or because of injury or whatever. And yeah. right, it what it means is there is absolutely no reason to put anybody on the floor fighting through injury or anything. Yeah. But at the same yeah. time, they're not going to be competitive in free agency. I mean, I'm looking at the list of free agents going into next season. Like, Steph Curry, no. No chance in hell. Kevin Durant, nope. Blake Griffin, nope. Chris Paul, nope. Then we go down a tier. Gordon Hayward, Kyle Lowry, both Probably nope. Gordon Hayward, I suppose, is possible, but I don't think so, not given that the Jazz are playing that much better. Paul Millsap, Dwayne Wade, I mean, no, right? It's it's about time for Dallas to go into a small rebuilding window anyway, and if, if that comes naturally and they go all out this year and, and try to win games but still end up losing a ton of them, then, then hey, good for the league and good for them. I mean, that, that would at least be a deserving draft pick. Yeah, that's that's fair. I think we're going to look back at that DeAndre Jordan uh, hostage situation as the, the moment that turned the Mavericks franchise in a bad way. Because, you know, if you, if you get DeAndre, you have Wes Matthews, Chandler Parsons, you know, then you suddenly have a core post Dirk that you can rely on and I feel like you're gonna at least be in the playoff mix every year but without him you know I figured the them becoming Golden State East would at least have one more year but it doesn't seem that's gonna be the case given their injury issues so Mort I think you're right if it's like an organic (laughs) an organic tank instead of a hinky tank that might be good karma at least yeah right there is no blood on your hands so, uh, so, just you mentioned the DeAndre uh, hostage situation. Were you guys on Twitter when it happened two years ago? Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I am so yeah. glad that I stayed up till four a.m. <laughs> I thought, like, I was on my way to bed, and then things started unfolding. I thought, okay, you know, I'm, it's summertime. I don't have to do anything tomorrow anyway, so 
I'm just gonna stick around for 30 minutes. That 30 minutes started like four or five hours, and it was like the best <laughs> Twitter moment for a Twitter NBA of all time. I just, I am so glad that I didn't go to bed. That was yeah, amazing. I'm pretty sure that's why basketball Twitter exists. That yeah. just that moment, <laughs> it's just gonna be, it's gonna be the pantheon of basketball Twitter moments from now until the end of time. There's nothing gonna be better than that. So, let's now turn to the Washington Wizards, who Ugh. I think. Yeah, I think did all three of us have them in the playoffs? No, I don't. Yeah, I think. I, I think. I don't know. Maybe more. I no, you didn't. More, you had the Bucks. I think instead of the Wizards. Yeah. yeah. I, I put Sarah, three down on the Bucks. I think yeah. I had them them in, but I might have had them pretty far down because I I didn't really trust them. You know? Yeah, but. I I think you and I both had them eighth, and right now that is not looking so great as they are six yeah. and eleven. They are fourth place in the Southwest Division. Three of their six wins have been against Orlando, Sacramento, and Phoenix, which is not exactly a murderer's row of great <laughs> opponents. They've also lost to Miami and the Sixers. They were one of the Sixers' four wins of the year. So that's not great. Uh, Bradley Beal is balling. He has 30-plus points in four of his last six games, and he scored at least 25 in all of but one of his last six. So that's at least a positive sign, and he hasn't been, I think, in a slight injury issue early in the year but nothing rising to the level that he's had in the past couple years so uh, you know right now not looking great for their playoff chances if they can't make up ground by the trade deadline more Mm -hmm. do you think they have to start considering trading either one of wall or beal well that's the question i wanted to ask you guys actually i was planning on doing that um okay simply because you know we had the the we talked about Bradley coming out, I would think, last year, saying that he might not be able to play big minutes for the rest of his career, which was about the worst thing you could ever say. <laughs> yeah. And this year he's playing almost 35 minutes a game, scoring 22, or almost 22. And I can't help but think, should you trade high? Mm-hmm. Like right now, and I know that it could blow up in your face, but at least you wouldn't... It wouldn't be the other way around. Like if you if you waited around and then suddenly his prophecy came true, then you'd be screwed. And since they're stuck anyway, I would consider trading both. Like it's just hitting the reset button completely. I mean, I've I'm you know I like John Wall to Philly. I've been I've been talking about that for months. I know you're not entirely sold on it. And that's fair. But I mean, hell, it could be Bradley Beal instead. Yeah. But yeah, would you no, trust I, him? I mean, would you trust? No, no, right? No, yeah. I, I, I would love John Wall at Philly if I thought there was a price Washington would take that didn't involve Joel Embiid. Like, you could take anyone else on the roster. Ben Be Simmons. Guess. That's totally... was my idea. Oh, oh yeah. No, I don't want to trade. Ben yeah, Simmons. I had a feeling. <laughs> Good point. I had a feeling. <laughs> Good point. No, well, just because I mean the team control issue is the big thing there. We have nine years of team control for Simmons, assuming. You know, we haven't the the new collective bargaining agreement has yet to come out, so we don't know how that's going to change things. But you have to assume, even if they get rid of restricted free agency, which I feel like we probably would have heard about by now, you still have four years of him versus three years of Wall at a much cheaper price. That said, I mean, actually, Coach Nick from B-Ball Breakdown uh, reached out to me on Twitter recently and suggested trading Beal for Nerlens Noel which uh, I think because the Sixers are so far below the salary cap, I'm almost sure that you could do a one-on-one trade just for them. But if not, you could throw in like 
Gerald Henderson or um, or Sergio Rodriguez or something like that to make the contracts work. And honestly, I'd have to consider that. I mean, I know Beal's making a huge amount of money, so that's the one thing that deters me because if he does break down, it, you know, that's not great to be paying this guy. Like, in 2021, he's making $28.75 million. That said, Nerlens has clearly said he wants out and I, you know, I'm starting to now worry about the Greg Monroe Detroit situation where he even risks himself and or bets on himself and takes the one-year qualifying offer just so he can leave as an unrestricted free agent the following summer. So I feel like if Washington is willing to do a deal structured around Beal for Nerlens, I, I would have to consider that pretty strongly as long as it didn't involve Embiid or Simmons. Yeah. So there's another layer to this, because the reason we're talking about trading Beal isn't solely because of his self-proclaimed prophecy of not being able to play minutes. It's also because of his salary. Well, mm-hmm. guess what, guys? Otto Porter is going to earn the big bucks next season as well, yeah, which, would, which would hinder their cap flexibility going forward if they're going to rebuild. So it's not just Beal. It's not just Wall. It might actually be those two and Otto Porter outgoing. Which makes me think, and this is ridiculous thinking on my part because it's completely you know fantasy, but if you combine the three of them in a trade package and you Ooh. try to consolidate it for one guy to like a young a young star, what could you get to like jumpstart your entire organization and then you, you would still need drafting, you would still rebuild, but you would have this young guy if he's available. Yeah. I mean, at that point, I feel like you can ask the moon. I feel like you'd almost be crazy to settle for anything less than, like, Kristaps or Towns or Anthony Davis. None of whom I think would actually be traded, but... Oh, Kristaps. Maybe, yeah, the Knicks might be the one crazy enough to do it, since Derrick Rose is a free agent after this year. I mean, they'd have to make the salary work, Mm -hmm. so maybe they ship out Joakim Noah and... Yeah, <laughs> that would be quite a blockbuster to make financially feasible. But, you know, Wall and Porter especially, like, you better be getting something monumental in return because yeah. you're not going to be making – I mean, he, Wall was a former number one overall pick or Otto was third Three. overall. And, and, you know, you don't – at this point in their careers, you're not considering draft pedigree and – there, you know, when you're trading them, because Anthony Bennett was also a number one pick, but they they are playing, Wall especially is playing at the level of a number one pick, and Otto has shown he has gradually improved every year, which is the same as he did, you know, he only stayed at Georgetown for two years, but he, he showed a lot more as a sophomore than he did as a freshman. I think the kid is just going to continue to grow uh, as the years go on, so... Yeah, that's a really good question, Mort. I... I'm I'm glad you brought up Minnesota because and, and this again, this is just pure fantasy and whatever. It's because there's a loose rumor out there that Tips would want to trade one of the youngsters for established mm. players. I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's BS. I don't believe it. Um But if if the phone rang and that offer was put on the table, John Wall, Bradley Beal, Otto Porter for Towns and then maybe like Cold Aldrich, whatever. 
I mean, you would have to at least consider it. I, I'm not saying I'd do it, but yeah, I I, I wouldn't. I probably if I'm Minnesota, I'm 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 probably saying no. Carl is is just too special. Mm-hmm. But I'm not hanging up the phone. I'm at least right. bringing it back to my guys, and we're sitting down for at least four to five hours, and we're talking yeah. that thing out. Yeah. I'm not insulted by that offer, but no, I don't think... I can't imagine this scenario in which I would give up Carl Anthony Towns. I would agree. Unless it's like the Golden State Warriors call you and say, here's Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant. Give us Towns. Then... That well, I might consider. Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably <laughs> sell my entire country if I got that offer. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, but it's, I, it's interesting I, at least. I mean, it's interesting to see because now they're they are going to trade away pieces. I could imagine. Like, here's the thing: mm-hmm. John Wall is not going to stick around when he hits right. unrestricted free agency. Is bye bye Wall. Yeah, and I can only imagine that even though Bradley Beal is locked up long term. They are not really that secure about him. And then you have the whole Otto Porter situation that I just mentioned. Like, mm-hmm. by the way, he would be beautiful as a small ball four in San Antonio. Otto Porter. Oh, that would be fun. Oh, God. Stop, him and Kawhi. Stop teasing me. Yeah. Hey, I, I'm, oh, I'm be... trying to help you out of getting rid of Powell, right? <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely a team to watch in the trade market just because of, as you mentioned, Mort, they're – you know, their, their constraints, especially, you know, Otto, if he doesn't get a max contract, he's going to get damn close to it. And Wall is on a below market contract compared mm-hmm. to this new cap for the next couple of years, but they just gave Ian Mahinmi, what, like, uh, close to, how much did they give him? Like 64, 64 million? million over four. Yeah. Yeah. And then they still have Gortat locked up for close to more than 36 million over the next three. Marquise Morris is their one. That's their discount guy. He's only about twenty-four million for the next three. But they have, you know, they have six guys already locked up. Mm-hmm. Six core guys locked up through twenty eighteen nineteen. So they just don't have a tremendous amount of flexibility financially. I mean, they have. I'm looking at Spotrack right here, and it says that they have one hundred two million already allocated for twenty eighteen nineteen. So even if the cap goes up significantly, and that's not factoring in Al Porter too. So even so, if the cap goes in significantly, they don't have very much room to improve. And, you know, one spot, honestly, their biggest problem so far this season has been their bench. It's yeah. been literally the worst in the league, according to hoopstats.com, uh, in terms of offensive efficiency. So, you know, even if they keep this core around, they need to figure out a way to bolster their bench and it's it becomes increasingly more difficult as the years go on just because of how much money Otto is about to get mm-hmm. so yeah more, I, I think i think you're on to something that the wizards are almost in a place where they're going to have to trade at least one piece in the coming months if they have any hope of digging out of the hole that they have fallen into then let me throw the last idea up on the wall and and Look, we talked about tanking, right? And we talked about sneak tanking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's the best way to sneak tank? Acquire Rashawn Rondo. <laughs> so here's what you could do. You could you could send Wall to Chicago for Rondo and a bunch of the young guys like Denzel Valentine, Bobby Portis. Those types. McBuckets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe McBuckets too. Yeah. Though he would not... Pro- he would probably not like getting on the same team as Markeith Morris because he's the reason he's missed seven straight games of the concussion. Mm, true. Yeah. Um, 
and and maybe even a draft pick. Like I would go to war with Wall, Wade, and Jimmy Butler, even though Wall isn't like a great shooter, he's still way more respectable. Mm-hmm. I would go to war with that. I would sacrifice the future for a Wall Wade Jimmy year. Yeah, I I don't, I don't know if the Wizards. Hey, would... sneak tank. That's my argument. Yeah. Sneak tank. Yeah, that, that's, that's the fair. whole argument, that's... and and the fact <laughs> that they get picks and young guys to bolster their yeah. their future. Like obviously, it's not going to happen, but it's an interesting right. thought. Like because Rondo is yeah. going to sink them, obviously. I... Yeah, I think that would be a hard sell for Wall. I feel like you need to get a superstar in return for Wall. I feel like definitely of the three, Bradley Beal is the most likely to be moved, but his contract is so onerous that you're going to have a hard time finding fair mm. value for him. Yeah. Like you're going to have to take a discount if you, if he was making, you know, five like if he was on Fournier's deal, five years, eighty five million, you would oh. have no problem finding a takers even with his health no, no. issues. Five years, close to one hundred and thirty million. Eh. It's it's a little more questionable. Yeah. So let's let's stay in the Southwest, actually, and we are going to look at the Miami Heat. We're going to continue our sneak tanking conversation right now. <laughs> uh, they're the only team worse than the Wizards uh, in their division. They are six and twelve after beating the Nuggets on Wednesday. Justice Winslow has missed their last nine games with a sprained wrist, and according to Ira Winderman of the South Florida Sun Sentinel. He's out for at least the next two as well. Dion Waiters, who has been playing really well to start the year, is now out at least two weeks with a pectineus tear, which is in the groin. Uh, Rodney Magruder, a rookie undrafted free agent who I honestly didn't know was a player until about a month ago, has started the last four games for them. So let's let's go right back into the tanking conversation. <laughs> yeah, Sarah, do you think Miami... It's time for Miami to tank. You know, they, they expected Wade. I don't think they expected Wade to leave. You've got the whole Bosch situation. Is it time for them to tank and trade Goran Dragic? <sighs> you know, I was looking into this when you posed the question, and I was kind of surprised that Goran is 30 because I still mm-hmm. think of him as, like, the rookie backing up Steve Nash. Um, I mean, you could definitely look and see what you can get. It's not as if they're not, I mean, you alluded to it, they're they're on their way to rebuilding. That's They're kind of right in the midst of it at the moment, but still kind of stuck because, like you said, I don't think they expected Wade to go. Um, the Chris Bosh problems, you know, have, have been there. And so, you know, they're going to have to engage in rebuilding in the immediate future. So, I mean, if you can get a decent return of, young interesting players why not but i don't necessarily think they have to move him either um i i thought they could be a fringe playoff team this year and injuries have pretty much destroyed any chance of that early in the season i I still really like justice winslow um and now he's only played half of your games already yeah and he was shooting poorly earlier and I really thought his shooting was going to turn around this season but I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that his injury was a wrist injury mm-hmm. so not helpful <laughs> but um I don't know I, I, what do you guys think they can get for Goron not much honestly I mean look I, I've I've been down on Goron for a while and you guys know this I thought he had one good year and that was really what they the people built his value on he had that one year where he 
looked utterly ridiculous. He looked like a point point guard version of a prime Manu, Manu Ginobili, right? Mm-hmm. And they, then afterwards, he he fell down a little bit, and then they signed him to ninety. I want to say ninety million. Eighty five. I just looked at eighty yeah, five years, okay. eighty five million. Yeah, and now he's back to being the player that he was prior to the explosion and right after, which is not worth that deal. And as you mentioned, Sarah, he's older. So, yeah. like, you would have to go to—he would have to go to a, a championship contender for it to make sense. But what contender out there is that in, in that dire need of a point guard that they're willing to trade off important pieces to get Goran Dragic? Like, especially at that position, the league is loaded at point guard. I think he's stuck there for a good while. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, the Cavs could use a backup point guard, but not for that deal, obviously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so. that would just make the rich richer compared to what they have now. So I would be against that yeah. generally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of, off the top of my head, I can't think of a logical destination for him outside of like Philly. But now Brett Brown is saying Ben Simmons is literally going to play point guard when he comes back, which is fantastic. Um I mean, you know, five years, $85 million, two years ago sounded awful, but now that guys like Bradley Beal are making five years, $130 million, it's actually a pretty reasonable contract when, you know, in this new cap environment, even for a 30-year-old. Uh, I think the best thing Miami can do right now is just put him on full display because I do think you need to move him by the deadline. They, you know, they have yet to convey either of the front uh, the first round picks that they sent to Phoenix for Dragic. So they owe a top seven protected first rounder in 2018, and then they also owe one in 2021. So if you are very bad this year and next year, mm. you at least get to protect your first round pick in 2018, and then that is unprotected in 2019, so you can hopefully make some moves, uh, you know, get some free agents surrounding Whiteside. Who is playing really well? We should note, you know, that's been the one bright spot of Miami season. Uh, so I think, you know, that's kind of the move. You gotta hopefully get a high first round pick this year, keep the top seven protected first round pick in 2018. You know, Whiteside will still be signed long term, and then you start bringing in other pieces. Hope Justice Winslow, you know, as you mentioned, Sarah, hope he improves his shot, but otherwise, he's a really good, well rounded player. Uh, and then I think you've got the makings of a new, young, fun core in Miami. But I don't see any way out of this for them at the moment. So I do think, you know, there, there's no point in keeping Dragic past February unless, yeah. you know, his value is only going to depreciate as he gets older and his contract is lower. Having, you know, he's locked up through 2018, 2019, and he's got a player option. So having that kind of security and having him on a reasonable deal uh, should, you know, I think that will make him enticing to some team. I just don't know which one. That's that's my point as well because I'm looking at the teams like a whole list of teams right now. Let's just mm-hmm. go from top to bottom. Cleveland, no. Toronto, no. Chicago, well, maybe actually. Yeah. Um, Boston, no. Mm-hmm. Charlotte, no. Atlanta, nope. Milwaukee. Not really, right? Because they need, uh, you know, defenders. They need and a younger. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The Knicks. That's one. Yeah. yeah, that's that's probably one because of the Derrick Rose insecurities there. Detroit, yep. no. Indiana, no. They just acquired Jeff Teague. 
Orlando, that's just a clusterfuck, so that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> Washington, no. And Brooklyn, not really. Philly, as she alluded to, no, because of Ben Simmons. Then we go to the West. Golden State, San Antonio, the Clippers, no. Houston, no, because James has moved there. No to OKC. Utah as well. Memphis, they just signed Mike Conley to the largest contract in NBA history so far. Portland, obviously not. The Lakers either. Denver is loaded with guards, so that doesn't really make sense. Who would want to go to Sacramento? New Orleans has Drew Holiday. <laughs> Phoenix is not a team he would want to go back to. Minnesota, yeah. not really, even though they could use a point guard, but what would they have to give up for it? And then Dallas, not really, right? Like, what's yeah. what's the option here? New York? Yeah, it feels like the Knicks would be the one logical spot, although I don't know what they have to give up. I feel like if you're Miami, you're trying to get at least one first-round pick back because yeah. you're so depleted from that deal, and you you got to break even at least. You're not going to break even, but you got to come close to it. So, yeah, the Knicks or Dallas, I guess, if, if Cuban's really serious about not tanking. That's a good point. Uh, you know, That's a good and point. Darren, you know, Darren Williams is, you can't count on him long term. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe you try to get out of that Wes Matthews deal and you just do a straight up one-on-one. I mean, you've got, the problem is you have Josh Richardson in Miami who you want to get minutes. You have Tyler Johnson who could take over as a point guard. So it's tough to find a deal that makes sense. But I do think Miami, think what? Pat Riley needs to be on the phones for the next couple months. What about the Spurs? I know I said no, though, but I'm t- I just forgot that Tony Parker is no longer the Tony Parker that we that we knew. And Patty Mills is due for some money. Yeah, I hope we don't don't let him get away though. But I mean, it's possible he, he is a former Spur in in theory, not in reality. But you know, he was drafted there. Um. I don't really want to go that way. I would rather, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with Patty. Hopefully hang on to Patty and begin to get DeJounte integrated yeah. because yeah. I feel like they're going to need what he offers sooner than later. Um, so I would rather get that going and invest in him. But I don't know. It's a, it's a possibility if slim. I mean, <laughs> obviously, if it, if the deal was struck for Powell, it would – you know, you, you would accept <laughs> it, but that's not going to be the case. So I get that. Yeah, probably but it not. really, Unless... it just it just shows the limitations of yeah. where you can move Drakich. Yeah, it's a it's a good point. Just in terms of point guard trades in general, since the position mm-hmm. is so deep now in mm-hmm. the league that it, it's becoming harder and harder to offload. Especially, I mean, again, Drakich is not a bad contract, but it's just hard to offload any point guard on a somewhat large contract so we'll, we'll keep an eye on Miami in the coming months because I feel like they're going to be active and Sarah dare I say frisky at the trade deadline <laughs> yes do please <laughs> so let's move for our final team of the week we're going to talk about the Denver Nuggets who they're in this weird spot right now so they're 7-11 and they just lost to the Heat on Wednesday it seems like they have too many rotation caliber players but no superstars you know, maybe Nikola Jokic or Jamal Murray emerges into that one day, but they don't have it at the moment. Right now, they have six players averaging at least 10 points per game, but no one above 18.2, and that's Wilson Chandler. Uh, they're in this like weird state of flux where they have 
you know, they've got veterans like Chandler, they have Danilo Gallinari, they have Kenneth Reed, and then they've got a bunch of rookies and young players like Jokic, Murray, Emmanuel Moutier, Yusuf Nurkic, Gary Harris. So I think the question is, you know, we talked about this in the our season preview with for them. Like, what do they do? How do they move forward here? Do they need to... Uh, Sarah, I'm going to go with to you for this one since you're the, the big man expert here. You know, the... <laughs> The Yusuf Nurkic, Nikola Jokic frontcourt did not work out well. And Jokic is now coming off the bench. And he's playing well, or he's playing better as of late since Mike Malone broke those two up and hasn't been playing them alongside one another. He he said Jokic, you know, is not suited to play the four, and that was on him, and he felt bad about it. So do they need to make a trade to free up time for Jokic? Do they need to move Nurkic? I would honestly be okay with that because I like, Jokic so much um yeah I've been trying to figure out you kind of compared their log jam to what the Sixers have going on and it is I've been trying to figure out how to to arrange that so it's not such a problem you know I was thinking you know do you go Hernan Gomez and Jokic in like because I'd rather I'd kind of rather he start honestly Mm -hmm. Uh, but regardless I feel like he's not playing enough minutes he's playing like 23 minutes a game it's just it's just not enough. So if if that's the case and they can't find minutes for him, then yeah, move Nurkic. Then I guess I mean I like him too, but uh, that's okay. Spread spread the big wealth around. Mm-hmm. I mean you guys have too many. It's not fair. <laughs> um, honestly, I feel like Moutier is taking a few too many shots. Yeah, I think that's I think that's one of their biggest issues right now. Just chill out a little bit. <laughs> chucking all the shots I, I mean you don't need to try to break through shooting in game you know yes. work on that in practice <laughs> um you know yeah spread the ball around a little better yeah and Mike Malone has actually been pretty critical even in the media of Moutier's turnovers I think he said before mm-hmm. like they are killing them so that is definitely something to watch moving forward. Uh, you know, Mort, you're the crazy trade guy. Do you have any ideas? I have one team that I'm going to throw out. Milwaukee that could use Nurkic. Do you have any yeah. other ideas? Well, uh, yeah, because now that we got went into this trade, you know, mentality, I, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> you know how John Wall and, and DeMarcus Cousins want to play together? Yes. Denver could possibly have the recipe to acquire both because they have so many youngsters and draft oh, yeah. picks. They could That's cash in. Oh, wow. That would be fun. And they might even be able to maintain or retain Will Barton or Danilo Gallinari or even Wilson Chandler. Yeah. Like, that could be really, really interesting. Hmm. That's a really good point. They... Like, we would have to come up with yeah. two separate deals. Right. But I feel like it, for the boogie deal, you're obviously going to include Jokic. You'll yeah. throw in, I don't know, I mean, maybe throw Moutier in there. Or, I guess you probably have to put Moutier in the John Wall deal so Washington is not relying on Trey Burke. And, and Jamal Murray definitely got to go, even though I yeah. love him. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so because he's, a, he's probably one of their best trade chips. Which reminds sure. me, remember prior to the draft, you and I were talking we had just recorded a podcast. Uh, I don't believe Sarah was there. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and then I we started talking about the draft pretty just, just you know, we, we shot the shit. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. I said, hey, you know, the Jamal, the Jamal Murray kid is really looking good. 
oh yeah i hadn't really noticed and then i, I sent over some video and you, it was like five minutes later and it'd been all silence from your end it was like i, I want that guy on the sixers i, yeah, I need that I guy really on the sixers <laughs> yeah i can't believe that it was a debate between who like i new orleans taking buddy heels over jamal murray yeah is just gonna you know another dagger in the keeping anthony davis forever train because i can't believe that was a debate even you know heels 22 murray's 19 and i would even if their ages were equal i still probably would have taken murray but yeah murray is murray is blowing up with harris out uh he's been playing really well as of late providing some great complimentary scoring off the bench so it you know, it's not like we're not saying Denver has to blow it up today, but it does seem like, especially with the Jokic Nurkic uh, you know, lack of chemistry, it feels very similar to, as I alluded to, uh, to the Nerlens Okafor stuff with Philly. Like they just aren't necessarily compatible together, and I feel like if you're going to keep one, it's going to be Jokic. So you got to find the taker for Nurkic. And hey, you know, Greg Monroe can barely get off the bench in Milwaukee yeah. and yeah. it seems like they're cycling through a new starting center every night. So maybe Nurkic provides, you know, he's a big guy, bruising, physical, uh, would fit in well with their defensive mentality. So that would be one that could work. Uh, you know, I think we, we struggle to find trade destinations for guys like Okafor and Nikola Vucevic who are, you know, kind of good scorers, Decent rebounders. Vucevic is a good rebounder. Okafor is mediocre, mm. uh, but just can't play defense that well, especially can't guard pick and rolls. Um, yeah. Nurkic will not have that problem, so I think he would have a more robust trade market than either Okafor or Vucevic at the moment. Now that uh, we're on Denver, like, what's the trade value of Kenneth Reed? Because in my mind, it's not a whole lot. Just yeah, because he's he's getting older. He's not a strong defender. He really never developed as a defender, nor as a shooter. He is still this energy guy, like a ten and ten mm-hmm. energy guy. To be fair, which does have its value, right? But he's he's got significant on court limitations. Yeah, I feel like if you if you do pull off that Denver the the Sacramento Denver deal and get Boogie, I feel like Farid is going to end up in Sacramento because they're going to think they can unlock something in him. Well, obviously, but, yeah, yeah, but. Yeah. But no, I don't think it's that high either. Uh, you know, he has been playing well since next to Nurkic in the starting lineup. So yeah. I think, you know, maybe, uh, just pure speculation, but maybe that's what Denver's doing. They're kind of trying to show off their veterans and trying to pique some trade interest in them. I, I do feel like they also, just like Miami and Washington, I feel like they're a team that's going to be pretty active on the trade market. Um, so... We'll just have to wait and see, but you know, I, I think Denver fans. There's obviously reason for hope. You have a lot of young talent and young, exciting talent, but you definitely need your general manager to be active over the coming months and kind of uh, rebalance this roster moving forward. Bookie and Wall. What? A- <laughs> yeah, Bookie and Wall. What, what about? Um... I don't know how they would make it work, but what about the Celtics for for Nurkic? Oh, we talked about them possibly needing another big. Yeah, that's I a good. He averages that. like like twelve re- twelve rebounds per thirty six minutes. That would help in an area yeah. where they need help. Well done, Sarah. Yeah, that's thanks, guys. I hadn't, I hadn't even thought about that. That's beautiful, actually. 
So we're actually going to have uh, Keith Smith on the podcast, hopefully next week, and we will be talking about the Celtics then. We, we will throw that idea at him and see what he says. That, <laughs> let's keep good. it a secret now, but I think he will, he will gush. <laughs> he will gush when he hears that idea, because that, be, that would be excellent. And Horford, I feel like, would be a great fit next to Nurkic, too. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, before I move on to our Where Amazing Happens segment, just a brief shout-out, Nerlens Noel coming back soon he the Sixers put him down uh with the 87ers in the D-League which is just for like a little rehab stint but they recalled him Thursday so it sounds like he should be making his season debut after undergoing a uh procedure on an inflamed placa which uh, is something in his knee so it's gonna be fun to see (laughs) how Brett Brown balances all those minutes because Joel Embiid did have his minutes restriction moved up to 28 uh Another team, you have to assume, is going to be very active at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. So we will see how that shakes out. Let's go to where amazing happens because a lot, a lot of amazing happened this week. Uh, <laughs> going to give a few brief shout outs and then we will talk about some other bigger stories. The first, J.R. Smith. I, I'm sure you've seen the clip by now playing the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, they're. <laughs> They're inbounding the ball. JR decides to walk off the court and dap up Jason Terry. The Bucks score possibly the easiest layup that will be scored in the NBA this season. Greek Freak, after the game, joked that they designed that play and said Jason, Kid- Jason Kidd told Jet to distract JR, which is just, <laughs> uh, I can't tell what I love most about it. The play itself, JR in a ski mask after the game, like playing dumb about it. The fact there was a story Wednesday about Tyron Lue saying, yeah, I talked to him about it. We, we had to just move it forward. So just just a reminder, J.R. Smith is an NBA champion. He's making $57 million <laughs> over the next four years. But he, deep down inside, dormant in that suddenly productive body is the J.R. Smith that we all know and love. Uh, I think another, uh, you know, very fun moment that happened this week. Paul Pierce against the Brooklyn Nets on Tuesday. They had a two-on-one. Chris Paul's dribbling up the court, passes the ball to Paul Pierce. He bricks a dunk and just lays on the ground for a while. And CP3 goes over and gives him CPR. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, you know, honestly, the Clippers, I, you know, the Clippers have rubbed a lot of people the wrong way over the past few years with their preening and their complaining and whining to the refs. I, that made me, that endeared me a little bit more to the Clippers. So bravo to CP3 there. And then here's a fun stat. So all six NBA games on Tuesday were won by the team with the worst record, or the worst record, I should say. According to Alias, that's the second time that's happened this season. The last time was January 1969, according to Sam Amico of Amico Hoops. So it just goes to show... Any given night, you never know what's going to happen in the NBA. And here I don't gamble. I should have, huh? Uh, Yeah, I think everyone lost money on Tuesday night, unless you really like the underdogs. So let's talk about a couple of the bigger stories uh, that happened off the court this week, and then one that happened on the court as well. Al Horford misses a game to be with his wife for the birth of his second child. A analyst in Boston, Mike Felger of CSNNE, questioned that decision and said he should not have missed one of 82 regular season games. Oh, God. Uh, his, his sister, Anna Horford, on Twitter, I will quote her exactly, just uh, <laughs> NS about W warning. She said, 
that Felger should fuck right off. So, uh, I'm going to throw this out. Sarah, I'll start with you. Whose side are you on here? The Horfords or Mr. Felger? (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty clearly the Horfords. I I don't feel like we need to burn a lot of time talking about this because it's ridiculous that it became an issue in the first place. Yes. Obviously, he should go be there for the birth of his child. (laughs) Fair. Uh, Yeah. Fair, fair and reasoned. Morton, I'm assuming, as as a father yourself, I'm assuming that you are on Team Horford as well, as your wife, your now wife, would probably murder you. Yes? Oh, yeah, Mike can fuck the hell off. Yeah, okay, there you go. <laughs> and, there it is. By the way, everyone, congratulate Morton. He got married on Monday. Thanks. Thank you, thank you. Yay, Morton. I'm sure everything has changed for you in the, the hours since. Um, all right, so the next thing... We got to talk about it. Chris Ballard of Sports Illustrated on Wednesday dropped possibly the the definitive Sam Hinkie preview. Pablo Torre of ESPN had it before, and he's still got the on-court version. But this version, so Hinkie has a non-compete clause in his, uh, I guess with his, whatever, his resignation agreement with the Sixers. So he didn't really talk about the Sixers all that much aside from saying he's happy for Embiid being healthy and he's happy for the fans. And he thinks people like me are crazy, basically. He said, I see people like wearing my face on t-shirts and think I'm a cult hero. And I'm like, lower your expectations, guys. Like, I can't live up to that. Which is untrue. He most certainly can and did. Uh, I know I know you didn't get a chance to read it yet. Sarah, did you have a chance to check out the profile? I did not. I'm sorry, Brian. That's fine. So I, I, I trust you to, to fill us in here. Yes, so I, I will just briefly, I mean, first, just shout out to Chris Ballard for getting such great access. Uh, you know, I think, I was telling Mort before we started recording, it's, you know, it's not necessarily about Hanky and his strategy and the process and all that stuff, because again, he's got the non-compete agreement, so he didn't really talk basketball that much. It's more just a profile of Hanky himself and like the way he operates his life. And he's just such a smart dude that I really feel like the Sixers are they're gonna grow to regret this decision immensely over the coming years. That you know, he resigned, but they forced him out, let's be honest. Um, and we're now already seeing the fruits of his labor. So it's like had he just given him three more months, it'd be like, Oh wait, he wasn't a total psychopath tank artist, and he wasn't going to perpetually send the team to ten wins every year. I mean, they're four and fourteen right now with Brian Colangelo. It takes time. But he he talked about, like, how he he literally every hour of every day, like, sits down. He's got his, like, Fitbit buzzes every hour from 6 to 6. And it, like, makes him think about, like, what did I accomplish this last hour? Did I accomplish everything I set out to do? It's just like, wow. yeah. It's like, he's just, he's so far ahead of the game. Like, he's already talking about how, like, artificial intelligence is going to affect a lot of different industries, including basketball. And he's meeting with all these Silicon Valley executives and whatnot. Like, it sounds like, I mean, Ballard said a number of them have tried to hire him. So if he doesn't want to ever return to the league, it sounds like he has a career as an entrepreneur if he wants, because people are just impressed with his way of thinking. Uh, And they were saying, like, in Silicon Valley, disruption is, that's how you get ahead. They're not afraid to fail. They're not afraid to try these radical strategies, whereas sports, you know, they, they stick by the tried and true stuff that got them by for years. So having a radical like Hinky 
would naturally upset the process. Uh, the, I, I think the two big takeaways, uh, you know, he Hinky said that he realizes he needed to be more transparent with the media, and he just couldn't. He was very secretive because he thought that gave him a competitive advantage, and if he uh, if he like divulged too much of the strategy behind the process, then people would you know try to subvert him every step of the way. So he he said he needs to be more transparent. Uh, and then I, you know Chris actually you know, I, I tweeted at him yesterday. Just told him he did a really great job. And then you know he said afterward he tweeted back at me and said like I think the next franchise that gets him is going to get an improved Hinky, which just Please sent, let that be the Bulls. It Please. sent shivers down my spine. And what I was telling you, like if I'm Orlando, and we're going to talk about Orlando next week. Mm-hmm. If I'm Orlando, I'm firing Rob Hennigan today. I I read that profile. I fire. I I will send. Hennigan's resignation letter with a copy of the Sam Hankey profile, and then I will hire Sam Hankey on the spot. Dude, you're so cruel, Brian. It's unbelievable. <laughs> just rub well, it in. Like, yeah. Brutal. Yeah. yeah. Just... Well, we all know how I feel about what uh Oh, what they, oh the magic doing. doing? Yeah. No, I yeah. definitely. But, you know, I, I think Hinky is – I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't return to the league at all. Yeah. Because he was crapped on by so many, including myself, for a long time. Because I didn't realize what the hell he was doing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think, no, I haven't read the piece yet, and I'm looking forward to reading it. But based on what you're telling me here, some of the parts I already knew that he was very forward-thinking and entrepreneurish, and the the fact that he thinks out of the box and tries these things that are against norm and culture, that is really important. Especially in sports, because we've so locked into our place, all of us, and that that also goes for blockers and us podcasters, even like yeah. everything is by a script almost. So the fact that he somehow took this world and spun it around to fit his own vision is is something that he should be proud of. And if the yeah. sports industry is against that kind of logic, even though it's it's pretty impressive logic then I have no quarrels with him going elsewhere and saying, you know what? Screw you, sports. Let me become a multi-billionaire in the tech industry. Yeah. Good on you, Sam Hinkie. Good on you. Yeah, I mean... But consider the Bulls, okay? Please. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he did not say what his next moves were, and the piece actually ends. I'm not going to spoil how it ends, but it was a very, very good ending. So everyone, I definitely encourage you to check it out. I've tweeted it out a couple times, so I'm sure you can find it on Twitter and... Uh, but yeah, Chris did great work. One other thing he mentioned was how like Hinky was considering like with the advance of AI, he's also like, well, medical things are going w- well too. Like, what if I could mandate that all of my players get LASIK? Like, oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, why wouldn't you do that? That makes total sense. But it's like he's just he is so far ahead of everything else that again, the Sixers. I, you know, I've been saying this for go back to like our second episode where he stepped down unexpectedly. And I'm just furious the whole time. And it that hasn't faded. That's just that feeling is just not gonna go away, apparently. So uh I think it's safe to say we're all excited to see what Sam Hinkie does next after this year. Uh let's go one more amazing feat on the court before we go into our crushes of the week. Russell Westbrook currently averaging a triple double. He has a streak of four straight triple doubles, including a thirty-five point 14 rebound, 11 assist outing 
to guide OKC past the Wizards on Wednesday night in overtime. He has nine triple-doubles on the year, which is equal to the rest of the NBA combined. LeBron and Harden have three, CP3, Giannis, and Julius Randle have one each. So none of us picked Russ as our MVP heading into the year. You two had Kawhi, I had James Harden. Hypothetically, it's early, it's only about 20 games, but hypothetically, mm-hmm. if Russ ends the season averaging a triple-double, can anyone win MVP or is he a shoo regardless of OKC's record? Regardless of the record, no. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the record has to account for something. Um, I think a month or so back, I wrote a piece for today's Fast Break about this. And, and the, the, the record has to reflect uh, being in the elite, more or less. But again, I mean, oh, it's so difficult, right? Because if, if this team, if OKC ends at like 45 and 37... That's still above average. It's not quite elite, but it's still good enough to get you somewhere. And then you have like a stat line that is not even close to anyone else's. Oh, Brian, come on. That's that's a tough question. That's <laughs> not considering it, it. I mean, you would have to at least look at it, right? You would, yeah. you would have to consider it. But hey, look, here's again, this is our old school mantra. If Sam Hickey was there, he would probably have a, a, an answer we hadn't even thought about yet. That's true. He, he yeah. would have a solution to the whole problem of how to define the MVP. <laughs> that, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, he yeah. definitely would. Sam, we Sarah, need you, buddy. Sarah, do you think Russ would be a shoe in if he averages a triple-double? Uh, it is, it's a tough call. I, I wouldn't want to call it yet just because so many people are playing really well. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I, I'm sure it would be tough to not give it to him if he did, but I agree with Morton that it it will depend on their record somewhat too. Uh, trying to think of where where they would have to finish, like no lower than obviously they'd have to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Maybe no lower than six. I don't know. Yeah. It's still that's still a tough call. The, yeah. See, that's that's kind of what I'm saying in regards to MVP. It is so difficult, like getting a firm understanding of where is the cutoff for how good your mm-hmm. team has to be. What about mm-hmm. your statistical output? How much does advanced metrics count? How about mm-hmm. the eye test? How about this? How about that? How much in reality does a triple is a triple double even worth? Is it is mm-hmm. it worthless per, per, worthless per sense? I mean. There are so many questions out there that needs to be answered in regards for us to 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 deem what the MVP is um, appropriate, I guess. And we don't yeah. know. I mean, we need we really need to like get people together and figure out what is the MVP. Yeah, the Pro Basketball Writers Association needs to convene a meeting and just yeah. <laughs> decide on an actual definition. I'm with you guys. I. I don't think he would be automatic, but I think there's no way he's not finishing, honestly, within the top two, probably. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's a feat that hasn't been accomplished in decades. Uh, you know, I think even in our wildest dreams, that was that was the talk heading into the year. Can Russ actually do this? Can he average a triple-double? And the answer through one month is yes, he can, <laughs> which is insane. So, you know... For Thunder fans, it's great because he is single-handedly carrying that franchise. We don't know if it's sustainable all season, but if it is, 
I think voters would have a very hard time, you know, even if they are the sixth seed and like, you know, Golden State finishes 70 and 12. I, I think it would be very difficult to give it to Kevin Durant or yeah. Steph Curry or LeBron or Chris Paul or Blake Griffin or Kawhi or James Harden over... Or Jimmy Butler. Or Jimmy Butler. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> over a guy who averaged a triple-double. So... It, it might be biased, but I honestly feel like neither Steph nor Kevin Durant should win it. I know Durant's been really, really good. Oh, he's yeah. fantastic. P- people try to tear Kawhi down because he's playing with you know Tony Parker who's definitely on the you know the backside of his career and Monty you know I I don't I don't see but what about your guy though Brian if Harden averages like 30 plus and 14 assists and and eight rebounds like yeah like right now yeah he's at seven seven or eight rebounds and and the Rockets have a better record than the Thunder People really going to dock him for, like, those two rebounds that he didn't Yeah, yeah, it's a fair question, especially because, you know, both have to deal with such different circumstances. Russ is playing without Kevin Durant, obviously, and James moved from shooting guard to point guard. Uh, So it's, I think narrative works in both of their favors. Uh, Gosh, I think at that point it really might, I mean, it sounds like a cop-out answer, but it might come down to, like, how far ahead is Houston from OKC? Is it like two games or is it eight or nine? Uh, you know, how when Russ is averaging this triple double, is it like 25 points per game or is it 30? Is he averaging 12 assists or is he averaging 10? Like those, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, those tiny details I think are going to come down. I think it's going to decide it this year. Again, we're not going to have a unanimous Steph Curry MVP year. Something like this is going to be a very good race all year from what we can tell. So. But this is this is so weird though. You you just mentioned like how where are you statistically, right? Let's say that you have like a guy who's averaging a triple double. He's averaging twenty points, ten rebounds, mm-hmm. ten assists. Then you have a big man. Let's just say he's averaging twenty eight and eighteen and six mm-hmm. assists. He's producing mm-hmm. way more stats. Like he's producing yeah. a hell of a lot more. But it's because of this ideology that oh, a triple double is worth more. Right. Is it though? Is it necessarily worth anything more just because the stats are different? Hmm. Yeah, just because it's got this fancy name, like, is that yeah. more impactful than 25, 15, and three blocks a night? Think For that's example, a question. yeah. I mean, yeah. Look, I, what I think the story regarding Westbrook is, is the 10 rebounds. Yeah. This is a 6'3 point guard who's averaging yeah. 10 rebounds a game. No one is talking about that. No, Everyone is talking about the triple-double, but... They gloss over the the rebounding uh, angle because that's the by far the most interesting thing in my world. This dude grabbed 18 boards the other day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you guys see, I think it was the Knicks game, there was a clip that circulated on Twitter, and it was like he literally flew in and stole a rebound from Porzingis, who is a foot taller than him. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's, he's insane. He, I don't know how... You know, there's always this talk in the draft about, like, motor and does this guy, like, have the motor to play? It's a question with Ben Simmons and Andrew Wiggins. No question about Russ's motor. Russ is, like, the energizer buddy. He's just never going to stop. And I don't know how, you know, again, I think at this point the question is, can he sustain it over the next 60 games or is he going to wear down over time? But so far he's been just impeccable. So, uh, you know, for for all of the sorrow that OKC went through this summer with losing Durant, 
I think Westbrook <laughs> Westbrook's play through the first month of the season is helping uh, reduce reduce that pain a little bit. So let's yeah, now move yeah. to our my crush segment. Uh, this is the the our weekly feature where we shine a spotlight on one of the more underrated players in the league, someone who doesn't get the attention of, say, a Russell Westbrook or a Kawhi or a James Harden or a Jimmy Butler. Uh, so, Sarah, I'm going to start with you. Who is your crush for the week? Malcolm Brogdon. Ooh, fun one. Uh, yeah. Last week we talked about, you know, how many guys do Milwaukee have that's, you know, permanent guys, guys for the future outside of Giannis and Middleton and, you know, potentially Parker, depending on how he meshes with Point Giannis. Um, just watching Brogdon a little bit, I feel like he could be one of those guys. Um, his his shooting has been kind of up and down, which is not really alarming for a rookie. But the last, let's see, for the season he's like at 40%, 37% from three. But the last three games he's shooting 60% from the field, 85% from three. Uh, averaging 10 points per game and uh, a couple assists and a rebound. But I just think he has a really solid game. You know, he's got game for a rookie. There's not like he's severely limited in any aspect. You know, he's shown the ability to take take the handoff around the screen and attack. He, he can get to the rim. He can pull up. I think his shot looks good, so I do think that his efficiency will get a little better uh, as his career goes on. So I just think he's a he's a solid pick for them, and he yeah. could be around for for a long time. That that is a good look, especially we yeah we discussed it. Check out our episode last week for some longer discussion about the Milwaukee Bucks. But we did talk about kind of where they are, where they stand without Chris Middleton at the moment. So they they could definitely use some young talent. Mort, how about you? Who's your crush for the week? So before I answer that, I just have to recognize that while we were podcasting, the NBA came out with their monthly awards for oh. best player. And yeah, we t- we spoke about Jamal Murray. Yeah, he's he he's the rookie of the month uh, for the Western Conference, and your guy, obviously, Joel Embiid. Yeah, the East. Yeah, that shouldn't come as a surprise. <laughs> then it's LeBron, LeBron, player of the month uh, for the East, and Mr. Russell Westbrook for the West. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. We we called it I I guess even though it's <laughs> painfully obvious to everyone. No, um, so my crust, uh, I this is a guy that I have really criticized a whole lot, but I want to be fair, so that's why he's in here, and that's Evan Turner. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and people will be like, "What? You're you're praising Evan Turner?" Yeah, yeah. because fair is fair, and over the last six games, he's been averaging thirteen point seven points. A bit over three rebounds, three assists, shooting 52 from the floor, 40 from three, and 90 from the line. Hmm. Granted, he is um, he he's got a minus of 6.8 during that time span, <laughs> so it's not all positive. But given that Portland has like the worst defense in the league, sure, that's part of it. But I just like the way he's he's played. It seems like. He's he's regained a rhythm. It seems like Terry Stotts has given him a little bit more freedom. He's been allowed to attack the mid-range area a little bit more. His handle has become, I feel at least, a little bit tighter. So, uh, yeah, I mean, good on Evan because he had a tough time fitting in alongside Damian and CJ and the whole spacing ideology of, of Portland. Now he's actually taking the ball away from guys and, and trying to do something with it himself 
that in itself sounds negative, but it isn't because he's doing it in the flow of the game. So yeah. kudos to him for that. Uh, still a bad signing, but kudos to him <laughs> for that. Yeah, uh, we we discussed him a couple weeks ago, uh, and we did say you know we figured it was not going to get any worse than it did at the start of the season. So it is good to see him turn it around a little bit. But yeah, I don't think it's going to take a lot more than that to justify the price tag he received this summer. Uh, you know, I think we need to briefly shout out Sean Kilpatrick. He had 38 points and 14 rebounds against the Clippers in that double overtime game. He scored 20 in the fourth quarter alone. And after the game, he said he felt like Sean Marks, the Brooklyn general manager, saved his life. Uh, we're, we're planning on talking more in depth about Brooklyn next week as there, there are rumors percolating about a signing that may be imminent there. So we're going to wait to see how that plays out before we dive deep in there. But we'll assuredly talk more about Mr. Kilpatrick next week as well. My crush this week is Terrence Jones, who, you know, he was one of those like afterthoughts in free agency this year. He signed, I believe, a one-year minimum deal with New Orleans uh, in part because he had played with Anthony Davis in Kentucky and wanted to recapture the glory days. You know, he was pretty hit or miss through the first 10 games of the season. But starting on November 14th, over his next seven games, he went off to average 15.4 points on more than 50% shooting, nearly seven rebounds, assist, uh, 1.4 assists, 1.4 blocks, nearly a steal, nearly a three per game. Uh, he has cooled off in his last two, but over his past nine games, he has a plus-minus rating in the positives for all but one. So he's playing really well off the bench for New Orleans. You know, I'm just happy. Again, it seemed like he was going to be a long-term piece for Houston only a couple of years ago, and he fell out of favor. He was injured a little bit. Uh, so it's good to see him getting his career back on track in New Orleans. I think he's a piece that they would be smart to invest in long-term once his contract is up this summer. But if they don't, someone else will. He's going to make a lot of money. So glad to see Terrence Jones. You know, he's only 24. He's turning 25 in January. Still got a long career ahead of him. Uh, so it's good to see him back on track. So that is going to do it for this week of the NBA podcast. Again, you can find us on Twitter at the NBA pod. You can find all three of our Twitter handles in there as well. So give us a follow. Check us out on iTunes, subscribe, download, leave reviews, and check out FanRag Sports at FanRag Sports on Twitter and at FanRag NBA for their NBA content. Until next time, I'm Brian Tapork, and as always, it was great talking to you, Morton and Sarah. Likewise, Brian. You too, bud. All right, take care, guys. Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine & More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine & more. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. Yeah. That's Hugo tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi oh! This next one's for you two. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. 
At ACE, we believe there's nothing better than helping kids. That's why we've been proud to support Children's Miracle Network Hospitals for over 25 years. This Friday through Sunday, get our five-gallon bucket and 20% off almost anything that fits inside when you donate $5 to support Children's Miracle Network Hospitals. And like ACE, CMN Hospitals are local, so the money you donate helps kids near you. ACE is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. Offer valid at participating stores on regular price merchandise only. Additional conditions and exclusions apply. See store for details.